This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everyone. We're going to get started here. It's 3, 3, uh, 10. Uh Forgive the uh, seminar room change-up. Uh, we have a lot of material to cover today. And uh, they knocked over 10 minutes over my time, so I want to get started as soon as possible, okay? Some word of prayer, and we'll get started. The recording is okay, Solomon? Okay, okay. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get started here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is the Sabbath day, and Lord, as it is a difficult time period on Sabbath afternoon, we ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds cause not sleepiness to be upon us and our minds to be able to focus on the matter at hand. Father, we want to not just cover a material for, for a lecture and information's sake. We want to um, experience a deeper relationship with Jesus. So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The seminar is called Cross and Society, Sports and the Latter Rain. It is part two. Thank you. Part two of the competition um, seminar. How many of you part, came in part one? Please raise your hands. Okay. If you're not here for part one, I'm going to make liberties that you understand what I'm talking about with some of the nomenclature that I'm using. This um, part two is entitled Sports and the Latter Rain. Uh, Russell Baker, American journalist and columnist, said, In America, it is the sport that is the opiate of the masses. For those of you who are a little bit well-read, how many of you know where the opiate of the masses term comes from? China, uh, incorrect. Russia, incorrect. I was thinking of a person more than a country. Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And so what he's doing is he's replacing religion with what? Sports. And in many ways, sports is the religion of America. Look at the history of sport. Wrestling was practiced by the Sumerians in Mesopotamia. They're introduced into Greece about 1000 B.C., the Greek Homeric epics mention athletic contests before the Olympics. The Iliad mentions funeral games of Patroclus, chariot racing, boxing, wrestling, foot racing, discus, and javelin throwing. And Alexander the Great, who, if you know your, your Daniel prophecies, uh, is mentioned by scripture, spread sports throughout the Greek empire. Now, here's the same time when Paul is around, and Paul re- uh, references the Olympic Games. Many people say, hey, sports is in the Bible. We can do sports because the Bible says it's okay. Now, when I'm talking about sports, I, want, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you throw a ball around and then you're, 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 you're sinning, okay? What I'm talking about is the element of competition within sports. Is that clear, everyone? Now, here he talks about competition in, in per se. Uh, Paul, Paul, we think, some people think Paul talks about competition. Um, these are allusions to the athletic games. They are found in 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Timothy 2, Hebrews 12, Galatians 2, and Galatians 5, 7. These verses talk about uh, running. In Philippians 3, it talks about keep going and attaining the prize. 1 Timothy 6 and 2 Timothy 4 talk about fighting. Now, yesterday, we talked about competition. Competition is, is not the belief of attaining excellence. That is an improper definition of competition. More so, competition is the belief that in order for me to be number one, I need to knock down number two out. Does that make sense? There is a rivalry component. Uh, you're not focused on the goal at hand. You're focused on people. So um, when you're running in the Olympics, how many positions are there for first place? 
won. And so in order to get first place, you don't have to try your best. All you have to do is just be better than number two. Does that make sense? Now, what Paul says in these verses, he's saying that, hey, everyone run. And by the way, there is no one slot for heaven. Amen? You don't have to knock number two down. You don't have to bump your, your church members to get into the south and to get to be saved. He's saying, rather, run everyone who finishes, period, is, is, is someone who will be saved. Does that make sense? And he's using the running analogy, not for competition, but the fact that we should continue and finish uh, towards the goal. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? This is talking about the worldly race. So run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Yet they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it unto, into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself shall be a, a castaway. Here in the Greek competition, it is one crown. The crown is corruptible. By corruptible meaning it is something that will corrode and will die. And it's only for one person. Paul's talking about an incorruptible crown, one that will not corrode, that will not go away. And it's given to every person that finishes. Amen? So how many of you want to be first place for heaven? Raise your hands. No, you didn't get it. You weren't listening. Okay. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Are you guys okay? Is it, is it the 3 o'clock Sabbath comatose kicking in? If, if, if that's kicking in, take your elbow and just whack the person next to you. That's called competition. You shouldn't be doing that. Pauline, Pauline's talking about disciplining the body, meaning your body is feeling like it wants to fall asleep, but you discipline your body to stay awake. And you rise up to a higher standard to make sure you focus your attention on what the speaker is saying. Amen? Amen. You're finishing. It's not about you started the race and you're in the middle. like ah, I don't want. He's saying everyone who finishes will certainly get the prize. So you're not running in vain. And he's talking about not just a dumb crown or a dumb medal. You're getting eternal life. And he says the focus is not on self, but the, fo- the, the, the focus is on the suffering of Jesus. Now, we're going to continue here. This is the history of sports. These are the Olympic Games were sacred games. These are the same games that Paul referenced. They were staged in a sacred place and at a sacred festival. They were a religious act in honor of deity. Those who, did, who took part did so in order to serve their God. So the ancient Olympics, you know, when they had like a little, little rock and they wanted to see how far they, they would throw it, this was to honor the, the God of strength or Zeus. When they would do the high jump, they were honoring the Ares, or they were fighting. They were, they were trying to mimic the gods. The, the races were all mimicking the Mercury and Hermes and whatnot. The Roman conquest of Greece in 146 BC brought a decline in the Olympic festivals. They continued for about 400 years until, until Emperor Constantine, who made a profession of Christianity around 300 AD, and he discouraged pagan practices as he promoted a watered-down version of Christianity. If you're a good Seventh-day Adventist, you should all know who Constantine is, yes or no? Okay, he's the one who like, oh, Sunday, Sunday, okay, next. The Romans were fond of their own gladiatorial contests. Julius Caesar built a special amphitheater for shows in which animals were pitted against men and other animals. Later, the Colosseum was dedicated with 100 days of games. By the 4th century, Circus Maximus was continually filled with 385,000 spectators. 
By the way, the sports back then was far above anything we see in modern times today. The only concerted, sustained, and ultimately effective voice of opposition to the Roman games came from a minority group called the early who? Christians. They abhorred paganism, the cruel bloodshed, the worldly associations such activities uh, entailed. It's a guy named Tertullian. Uh, he's an early Christian. No photographs, unfortunately. Sports, he says, sports contradicts the principles on the Sermon on the Mount. He says that when Jesus says, if someone punches you on one side, what should you do? But in sports, if someone punches you, what do you do? You punch them back. Jesus didn't say that. He says, followers of the Prince of Peace cannot delight in acts of violence. Disorder from rival parties should be deplored by Christians. Clement, who wrote, senseless expenditure of money on shows. And back then, the Olympics were very, very, very cheap. If you follow the news, especially the Olympics that happened last year, how much money goes into the Olympics? Tation. It's a picture down there. That's not Tation. I just put it there because I figured you'd enjoy the visual stimulation. Contemporary culture violated basic Christian values, attitude, and impact on the participants playing sports, and he pointed out the socioeconomic structure of sports, and he deplored the effects on the spectators. On the who, everyone? Spectators. This is in the Wycliffe Bible Encyclopedia. The leaders of the early Christian churches condemned the forms of amusement that associate themselves with pagan religion and which controverted the Christian ethic. Tatian, Tertullian, and Clement denounced the games and similar amusements because of idolatry, immodesty, and brutality. The Olympic Games were abolished as pagan in A.D. 394, but they were revived in what year, everyone? Now, in the 1800s, what other movement is emerging in North America? We are at an Adventist youth um, uh, convention. You are all, hopefully, Seventh-day Adventists. If you're not, let's talk. Uh, Adventism is emerging in the times of 1800s. Now, in 1896, and, and, and I want to, if you know your Adventist history, there's also another pivotal date in Adventist history, 1888. Does anyone know where that date comes from? Okay, Minneapolis uh, conferences about righteous by faith. Anyway, I want you to keep these in the back of your mind. Sports and athletics were widely condemned by many religious denominations in America until the later half, later part of the 19th century, about the time of the Revival Olympics. This is Pierre de, de oh, my French is ho- horrible, Kuberton, Kuberton. Uh, um, he's the one that, that revived the Olympic Games in 1894. It took two years to, to start the Olympics, so they actually had the first Olympics in 1896. And he said this, for me, sport was a what? Religion with, a, with religious sentiment. In 1825, first track and field was, met, was held in England. 1829 was the first intercollegiate rowing match. Mid-1800s, snow skiing was introduced into America by Scandinavian immigrants. 1839 was about time when, when baseball became established in America. 1869 was they started playing professionally. 1829 is when rugby happened in Cambridge. 1869, the first collegiate game for football in America. 1863, where the rules for t- or soccer were codified. 1860s, polo began in India and brought to England and the United States. 1873, badminton came over. 74 was tennis. 75, ice hockey. 91 was basketball. The only popular game devised in the United States was invented in Springfield, Massachusetts. What is common with all these sports? They're all emerging in North America at what what time period? 1800s. 
1892, the first championship boxing match with gloves was, in, was introduced. Softball began, be, began between 87 and 95. 95, volleyball was invented. Nine, 1904, auto racing began on Long Island with the popular Indianapolis 500 established in 1911. The largest uh, attended sport in North America is what? Is NASCAR. The most unathletic sport out there. Now, that's just background introduction, okay? Now, for those of you coming in, come in and sit down. You're welcome. Uh, I'm assuming that you're all here for the competition seminar yesterday. This is where I want, and this is not for everyone. I'm going to ask that your endurance level be put onto its max because we're going to read a lot of documents, long documents from Ellen White. Is that okay with you? Okay, if you're falling asleep, slap your face as hard as you can. Okay, you're welcome to go to the back and you smash your head against the wall and then come back and sit down to wake yourself up. But this is of utmost importance to understand, at least in the great controversy and in the history of events. All these sports are emerging in the 1800s, and guess what is happening in, uh, in Adventist history? As the sports program developed in the schools of the world, it developed in our college at where? Battle Creek. You all know where Battle Creek is? The cereal place, Yes. We had our football teams, our baseball teams, our basketball teams. There was even some boxing. Adventist youth with their back, background in healthful living with their, and with their lives free from alcohol and tobacco were able to perform well. It was not long until the games with other teams of the town and the teams of other towns led to great excitement. The interests of a large part of the student body began to diverge from the objective of making every effort count toward an adequate preparation of service to the cultivation of excitement and pleasure. Get this. Had this program continued without being checked by messages from the Lord, our educational program would have largely offset by the sports program, which is beginning to make its way amongst us. Says Arthur L. White, writing in Sports and Seventh-day Adventist Academies and Colleges. Today, I want to look at the messages that were given by the Lord regarding sports and Adventist institutions. In order to understand how this, this plays, we have to understand what Adventist education is. Okay? As a rule, exercise is most beneficial to the youth. The exercise most beneficial to the youth will be found in useful employment. A little child finds both diversion and development in play, but his sport should be asked to, to promote and not only physical, but mental and spiritual growth. As he gains strength and intelligence, the best recreation will be found in some line of effort that is useful. That which trains the hand to helpfulness and teaches the young to bear their share of life's burdens is most effective in promoting the growth of mind and what? The youth need to be taught that life means earnest work, responsibility, caretaking. They need training that will make them practical. Men and women who can cope with emergencies, they should be taught that the discipline of systematic, well-regulated labor is essential, not only as a safeguard against the vicissitudes or changes of life, but as an aid to all-around development. How many of you think you are being educated on, as a, as, with true educational principles? I'm part of campus ministry. The majority of the, the so, so a lot of you who are students in public universities, you come out educated, but you're really uneducated. They said the millennial generation coming out of, this, uh, of the universities now are the most unpractical, most unuseful generation ever found in the history of America. Previous generations, if something was wrong, guess what they did? They fixed it. 
This generation, that includes myself, I'm blasting myself, we go on the internet, we look at a YouTube video on how to fix it, and then we call someone to fix it for us. <laughs> we don't know how to fix something. And so now, in our generation, the service industry is now, is now the number one industry because they're fixing, they're fixing our cars and computers. We don't know how to do anything. And we come out with a diploma that's $45,000 of, of debt we go into, and we come out uneducated, and we end up working for Burger King and McDonald's, but they're going bankrupt as well. Seventh-day Adventist education, philosophy of education, character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study so important as now. I read this yesterday. We'll zoom down to the bottom. In God's plan, there is no place for what, what? I said it one more time. In God's plan, there is no place for selfish rivalry, precious the service done, and the education gained in carrying out these principles. But how widely different is much of the education now given? From the child's earliest years, it is an appeal to emulation and rivalry. It fosters selfishness and the root of all evil. Gymnastic exercises fill a useful place in many schools, but without careful supervision, they are often carried to excess. Gymnasium, many youth, in the gymnasium, many youth, by their attempted feats of strength, have done themselves lifelong injury. Exercise in a gymnasium, excuse me, cannot supply the place of recreation in the open air, and for this, our schools should afford better opportunity. Vigorous exercise, the pupils must what? Okay, how many of you need exercise right now? Everyone, please stand up. <coughs> please stand up. Please sit down. It's just the power that I have to do that. <laughs> and you got some exercise. Few evils are more to be dreaded than indolence and aimlessness. Yet the tendency of most athletic sports is the subject of anxious thought to those who have at heart the well-being of the youth. Are you guys still with me? (coughs) Teachers are, are troubled as they consider the influence of these sports, both on the student's progress in school and on his success in the afterlife. The games that occupy so much of his time are diverting the mind from study. They are not helping to prepare the youth for practical, earnest work in life. Their influence does not tend towards refinement, generosity, or real manliness. Some of the most popular amusements, such as football, boxing, have become schools of brutality. They are developing the same characteristics as did the games of ancient Rome. The love of domination The pride in mere brute force, the reckless disregard of life, are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralize that is appalling. Now, she's talking about sports. We could apply the same principles to video games, yes? As a youth pastor in a university setting, I saw when we would have Bible studies, the girls would come out and the guys would not come out. It used to be in one generation previous, the guys were outside playing sports, but this generation, what are they doing inside? playing video games, and they're blowing each other off. Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, or, you know, mumbo-jumbo gun time, whatever. (laughs) Other athletic games, though not so brutalizing, are scarcely less objectionable because of the excess to which they are carried. This is making sense. Please don't leave here and say, man, I went to GYC, and I saw some Asian guy, and he said, like, sports is bad. Oh, man, I can't. If I pick up a ping-pong paddle, I'm sinning. I'm not saying that. This makes sense. Ellen White is very practical, but she's very real. And she's giving Seventh-day Adventists the God's last-day people on how to prepare for God's second coming. Amen? Amen. 
And so it's the excess of which we get into sports. Is it possible to get into excess sports? Is it possible to keep your mind on fantasy, you know, teams and, and I don't know any of sports term like ERIs and I'll stop. Let's keep going. <laughs> the, stim, the stimulate, the, that's, that's incorrect. They stimulate the love of pleasure and excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor. A disposition to shun practical duties and responsibilities, they tend to destroy a relish for life's sober realities and its tranquil enjoyments. Thus, the door is open to dissipation and lawlessness with their terrible results. How many of you have ever drunk, drink, drunk, tasted orange juice after brushing your teeth? Okay, brother in there was like, went super fast. He's confident that he did that. Very good. I love your assurance there. What does the orange juice taste like? It's nasty. Why? Because of what? The toothpaste. In many ways, sports is toothpaste. Yeah? You can't taste life's tranquil, natural, uh, natural, natural uh, uh, enjoyments. You can't go to a park. You see, you see this all the time in being part of youth ministry. People are like, oh boy, we're just, we're just walking on a mountain up and down. What's the point of this? Well, what do you want to do? Sit down in front of a TV and watch a ball go back and forth? Like, is that more useful? Why do we not like going outside anymore? Why do, why do girls, you have to sweat, amen? amen? Sweating is biologically okay. Smelling is not. <laughs> Some short Ellen White quotes. I entreat the students in our schools to be sober-minded. The frivolity of, our young, of the young is not pleasing to God. Their sports and their games open the door to a flood of temptations. If God, this is another quote, and again, there's a, you see all the quotes there. If you guys wonder what SP tests, special testimonies to physicians and, what's H? Healers, let's, yeah, I'll Google it. If God requires us to go amid infernal spirits, where is the blackness, blackest darkness? In order to do good and glorify his name, he will encircle us with his angels and keep us unsullied. But if we seek the company of sinners and are pleased with their coarse jests, are entertained and amused with their stories, sports, and ribaldry, the pure and holy angels remove their protection and leave us to the darkness we have chosen. What happens in sports bars? What are you drinking? What happens at at uh, non-Christianized Super Bowl parties? Okay, this is the, the revelry that she, she's talking about. These parties of pleasure and gatherings for exciting sports, made up of those who profess to be Christians, are a prof, prof, profanation of religion and the name of God. Satan has devised a multitude of ways to which to keep men serving God. He has invented sports and games into which men enter such intensity that one would suppose a crown of life was to reward the winner. Do not substitute play. Pugilistic boxing, football, matched games, and animal exercise for manual training. All this, all of this stripe and type should be vigilantly prohibited from the school grounds. And here you see a picture. Anyone know where that is? Okay, you're mumbling. I don't know what you said, but I'll think you're right. Hey, this is Battle Creek College. Now, what happened is, in 1888, I'm going to give you the version of Adventist history. In 1888, yes? What year did I say? It's really easy to remember the three eights are the same, okay? 1888, there was a general conference, and all of God's, God's people in Adventist Church got together, and they were, introducing, they were introduced to the theme of righteousness by faith, meaning 
through our faith, through how when we're focused on Jesus, Jesus can help us overcome any sin, and Jesus becomes the, the, the Lord of our lives. It's all about Jesus. And it was a de-emphasis off the law and a re-emphasis on Jesus who helps us keep the whole law and then some after that. Amen? Amen. But what happened is the old guard, you know, the, 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 uh, they said, no, this is, this is new light. And, and there was a huge fight. And what happened, there was politics going on and, and people were shouting and they were throwing chairs. I'm making stuff up now. Just totally like going all out and totally not good. Okay? So what happened is all the Ellen White's and seeing this, and he's like, man, I was shown that the 18 message is awesome. Our church has to learn from this, but everyone, you guys fighting, this is not good. Fast forward. 1893. Which year did I say? 1893. They meet again, and they meet in Battle Creek. And then they say, hey, you know, let's not make the same mistake that we did last time. Let's get together. And what happened? Amongst church brethren, amongst pastors, amongst suits, amongst administrators. They were repenting and confessing, and they embraced the 1888 um, uh, Righteous by Faith. They were saying, hey, let's work together. We're sorry, and they're getting together. And then and Ellen White's talking about, man, this is the beginning of the Holy Spirit coming down. Ron Duffield says that this could, be, this could have been the beginning of the latter rain. Jesus could have come in the late 1890s. But something happened in 1893, that same year, in the same area, on the same college. Guess what? 1893, and we're going to read four documents, and this will be the end, and we have to get out of here because someone else is kicking us out. Okay. Are you guys ready? This is the heavy part, by the way. Before, that was easy. Someone would be like, oh, no. There have been things written to me in regard the movings of the Spirit of God at the last conference, 1893, and at the college, which clearly indicate that because these blessings were not lived up to, minds have been confused, and that which was light from heaven has been called excitement. I have been made sad to have this matter viewed in this light. You must be very careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God in pronouncing the ministration of his Holy Spirit a species of fanaticism. How shall we understand the workings of the Spirit of God if it was not revealed in clear and unmistakable lines, not only in Battle Creek, but in many places? So what's happening? A revival is happening. The Holy Spirit's coming down. And some people said, oh, it's a little too radical. Yep, that's, that's, that's not, that's, this is weird. That's fanatical. And she's saying it's not. I have been known that God was wrought in a marked manner and let no one venture to say this is not the Spirit of God. It is just that which we are authorized to believe and to pray for. For God is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him than parents are to give good gifts unto their children. But the Holy Spirit is not for the human agent to work. It is to work and use the human agent. That God did abundantly bless the students in the school and the church, I have not one doubt. But a period of great light and an outpouring of the Spirit is quite generally followed by a time of great what? Have you all been blessed here at GYC? I believe GYC are incremental droplets of the, of the latter rain in concentrated up, uh, amounts every December. But it's very difficult. You have, a, you have a mountaintop experience here, but the minute you go home on Sunday and you get up to go to work or school on Monday, it's a period of great darkness. Why? Continuing on, because the enemy works with all his deceiving energies to make the none affect the deep movings of the Spirit of God on the human subject. 
When the students at the school went into their match games and football playing, they became absorbed in the amusement question. Satan sought a good time to step in and make of none effect the Holy Spirit of God in molding and using the human subject. So what's happening? You have a big revival, and these guys, after they go to the revival, they play sports. There's nothing inherently wrong with the sport, but because of their obsession with the games, they start forgetting the blessings God gave them, and it was made of none effect. Had the teachers done their duty, had they realized their accountability, had they stood in moral independence before God, had they used the ability which God had given them according to the sanctification of the Spirit through the love of truth, they would have had spiritual strength and divine enlightenment to press on and on and upward on the ladder of progress reaching heavenward. The fact is evident that they did not appreciate or walk in the light or follow the light of the, of the word. It is an easy matter to idle away, talk, and play away the Holy Spirit's influence. To walk in the light is to keep moving onward in the direction of light. If the one blessed becomes negligent and intentive and does not watch unto prayer, if he does not lift the cross and bear the yoke of Christ, if his love of amusements and strivings for the mastery absorb his power or ability, then God's not made first, last, or bat, last in everything. And Satan comes in to act his part on playing the game of life for his soul. He can play much more earnestly than they play make deep-laid plots for the ruin of the soul. The results, after the working of the Spirit of God in Battle Creek, are not because of fanaticism, but because those who are blessed did not show forth the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And when the earth is lightened with the glory of God, some will not know what it is or when it came from because they misapplied and misinterpreted the Spirit shed upon them. God is a jealous God of his own glory. He will not honor those who dishonor him. Some persons living in the light ought to have instructed these souls, young in experience, to walk in the light after they have received the light. When you're given light, you need to live up to the light. If you reject the light, there is no further furtherance of your spiritual life until you live up to in obedience to what you have been shown. There's another quote. I'm not going to get into it. But when the Holy Spirit comes down the latter rain, and I'm assuming you all know what the latter rain is. That's why you're here. That in the same room, she says, in the same room, when the Holy Spirit is coming down, some people are getting overwhelming drafts of the Holy Spirit. They're praising the Lord Jesus. They're going all out. In the same room, in the seats right next to them, some people are saying, what's the big deal? What's going on here? I don't sense anything going on. Number two. This is Ellen White. She's writing from Avondale, Australia, because she's so distraught with what's happening in 1893. She says, I do not condemn the simple exercise of playing ball. Have you read this before? Many, many, many of you have. But even this, even in its simplicity, may be overdone. One time I was in my dorm, and I was bored, so I'm like, hey, let's play ball. And we had a little, you know, those orange spongy-majigs. And then we like, had a little, you know, net majig the, the ring thing on the door. And we're like, and then we threw, and then gave it to my roommate, threw, and threw. We started playing that for a couple, couple minutes, and then we got so into it. We thought of the most creative ways. We played that for the next eight hours. <laughs> we're doing slam dunks with a small little Nerf ball. We're doing, like, dives into the net. We're thinking of, and we got competitive. We, then we created the Nerf competition on the whole floor. We got all these guys all from a dumb little ball. And so when I read this, I was like, how did you know? <laughs> she saw a Nerf ball. 
I shrink always from the almost sure result which follows in the wake of these amusements. It leads to an outlay of means that should be expended in bringing the light of truth to souls that are perishing out for Christ, out of Christ. The amusements and expenditures of means, that means money, everyone, for self-pleasing, which lead on step-by-step step to self-glorifying, and education, educating in these games for pleasure, produce a love and passion for such things that is not favorable to the perfection of Christian character. The way they have been imp- conducted at the college does not impress, bear the impress of heaven, does not strengthen the intellect, does not refine, purify character. There are threads leading out through the habits and customs and worldly practices. And the actors become so engrossed, so infatuated, that they are pronounced in heaven lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In the place of the intellect becoming strengthened to do better work as students, to be better qualified as Christians to perform the Christian duties, the exercise in his games is filling their brains with thoughts that distract the minds from their what? How many of you all have not studied and you watched the game instead? And say, hey, I'll watch this game, and afterwards I'll just study harder. That never happens. I remember in, in, in 2004, World Series of, of, of playoffs, playoff semifinals, whatever it's called, Yankees versus the Red Sox. Huge Boston Red Sox fan. They had the Bambino curse, and, and finally we were playing the Yankees. I watched to 1 o'clock every night, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I wanted the Boston Bo Sox to win, and they won. I'm shouting in my dorm, we won, we won. And then, oh, I have to study now. I don't want to study. Do games get into your mind? Do they become your uh, uh, eternal obsession? He continues on, is the eye single to the glory of God in these games? I know that this is not so. There is a losing side of God's way and his purpose. The employment of intelligent beings in probationary times is superseding God's revealed will and substituting for it the speculations and inventions of the human agent, which Satan by his side imbued with his spirit. The Lord God of heaven protests against the burning passion cultivated for supremacy in the games that are so engrossing. This is Adventist home that all of you, if you're, if you're married or want to get married, you should be reading. This is the third one. Are you okay? Are you with me? Okay, if you didn't say anything, you know, slap yourself in the face. For those of you who are listening to the recording, it's 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock on Sabbath afternoon. This is a very dangerous time frame. I don't know whose idea to have seminars now, but it was. <laughs> I think it was my idea. Okay, number three. In the night season, messages have been given to me to give you to, to, in Battle Creek and to who? By the way, 7th Avenue schools today, 50% of our academies have sporting programs. 80% of our universities have sports going on on our campuses. At the same time, and I don't, I'm not saying it's related, but what's happening is enrollment is decreasing, and Adventist education is under threat today. At the same time, my understanding is those schools that do not have competitive sports have waiting lists because their focus is on God's character and trying to get the gospel to the whole, to the whole world. Continuing on, thus Satan and his angels are laying their snares for your souls. Be sober, be vigilant, not in kicking football and educating yourselves in the objectionable games which ought to make every Christian blush, which mortification at the afterthought. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Yes, Satan is on your playground watching your amusements, catching every soul that is off guard, sowing his seeds in human minds and controlling the human intellect. For Christ's sake, Call a halt to the Battle Creek College 
and consider the afterworkings upon the heart and the character and the principles of those amusements copied after the fashion of other schools. You may have been steadily progressing in the ways of the Gentiles, but not after the example of Christ. Satan is on the schoolroom. He's on the present every exercise in the schoolroom. The students have had their minds deeply excited in their games, and they are not in the best condition to receive instruction, counsel, reproof, most essential for them in this life and for the future immortal life. And this is the last one, number four. And guys, this is the best one, okay? This is the Battle Creek College president, W.W. Prescott. Has not the playing of games and rewards and the using of the boxing glove been educating and training after Satan's direction to lead to the possession of his attributes? What if they could see Jesus, the man of Calvary, looking upon them in sorrow as was represented to me? You guys see this? She's writing to the president, and she's saying Jesus is, a man, is, is looking upon him in sorrow. Things are certainly receiving a wrong mold and are counteracting the work of the divine power which has been graciously bestowed. Satan and his angels are laying their snares for your souls. He is working in a certain way upon teachers and pupils to induce to engage in certain exercises and certain amusements which become intensely absorbing but which are of a character to strengthen the lower powers and create appetites and passions that will take the lead and counteract most decidedly the operations and workings of the Holy Spirit of God upon the heart. Now get this, get this, get this, get this, get this. Wake up if, you, if, you're, if you're dying, if, resurrect yourself. What saith the Holy Spirit to you? What was its power and influence upon your hearts during the 1893 General Conference and in the conference in other states? Have you taken special heed to yourself? How the teachers in the school felt that they must take heed. The amusements are doing more to counteract the working of the Holy Spirit than anything else, and the Lord is grieved. In 1891, Battle Creek College prohibited all sports. Football was started somewhere in, in Princeton, and it, and it swept over North America. And by 1893, it had come to Battle Creek. The same year that the Holy Spirit was coming down during the 1893 conferences, the same year, that exact same year, Battle Creek College was playing the Battle Creek City High School. And then they got into a tie. They got into a what? A tie. And then... Their crowd was so angry, and then they started getting into a mob scene, and they were trying to get the umpire, and they were criticizing the umpire because they felt he made a wrong call. Guess what the majority of these spectators were? The same guys who were at Battle Creek College at the conferences. God had blessed them with all these spiritual things, and now they're using their energy for, for amusements. In all who are under the training of God is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs, or its practices. She says also in FCE 228, I cannot find an instance in the life of Christ where he has devoted time to play and amusement. He was the great educator for the present and for the future life. I have not been able to find one instance where he educated his disciples to engage in amusements of football or pugilistic games to obtain physical exercise. And yet Christ was our pattern in all things. Last slide. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, 
and you shall find rest unto your souls. Can you imagine a man like this who says, I am meek. Say, let's go out. Let me slam dunk something in your face. I just can't see it. The reality is this. Here we are, are, GYC, in the convention center. We shouldn't be here. We should be in another stadium right across town. The Arizona Diamondback Stadium should be filled with 7th-day Adventist young people from all over the world. But why is it? Why are they not here? Our schools, ourselves, we come to conferences like this and say, we want Jesus, we want Jesus, we want Jesus. But we go home and we spend all of our time and energy on sports. And on this, is, we're, this semester is on sports, but it can be on fashion, on video games, on drugs, on whatever, 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 whatever. And a lot of these things are not even bad in themselves. Amen? There's nothing wrong with throwing a ball. One, you're not sinning. Like, here, here's a ball. <gasps> but it is the obsession that we get into these things. And my question to you is this. How many of you, I don't want to know, don't raise your hands, but how many of you know in deep in your hearts you are obsessed with games, obsessed with sports, that even now you don't have the tolerance to listen to a PowerPoint presentation lecture for 45 minutes. If you found this presentation to be boring, it is because sports and the entertainment world is brainwashing your attention span. Some of you are so addicted that even now as I'm speaking, you're checking sports uh, uh, scores on your phones. When you get back home, you want to see what all your, your, your people are doing and how your fantasy sports are. Who cares? It's just a dumb ball that goes back and forth. Amen? How many of you want to ask, Lord Jesus, help me with my addiction. Help me use the money, the energy, the, 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 my social power. Lord, I'm a muscular dude. Use my muscles for Jesus. Lord, I can jump really high. Lord, use my jumping ability for Jesus. Lord, I'm really fast. I will use my track and field for Jesus. Lord, I can slam dunk like no other. Use my slam dunking ability to get a glow track on the top of the rim, okay? <laughs> do whatever you got to do. How many of you want to ask the Lord Jesus? And it's the whole idea of this track. The whole idea of GYC is let's be countercultural. Let's have enough chutzpah. Let's have enough confidence and assurance to be countercultural for Jesus. One thing I love about adolescence is we're willing to go against the grain. But adolescents want, want to go against the grain as long as everyone else goes against the grain with them. Yes? Let's go against the grain for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Stand with me. Let me have a word of benediction with you. Father in heaven, this track, we have looked at technology and we have looked at competition. Lord, we don't want to be uh, boring, angry, uh, bored, uh, angry, ugly, frowning Christians, Lord. We want to be happy. We want to be joyful and cheerful, and we want to emulate the character of Jesus. But in our desire, Lord, we have addictions. What else can we say? Entertainment, fashion, 
uh, everything that I said, and you are here in this room with us. Lord, you are coming soon. But before your son comes, the Holy Spirit must come forth in an overwhelming flood. Just like the apostolic days, Acts chapter 29 has to happen today. And Father, we thank you that G- I, I think GYC is a partial fulfillment of that, partial fulfillment of Joel 2. This is happening right now, but Lord, we need even more of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Lord, you are so kind and you are so generous that you are sending forth and you are pouring forth your Holy Spirit. But here we go on Monday morning and we're playing and getting ourselves into things that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. We are obsessed with worldly things, with fleshly lusts, and not with spiritual things. So, Father, I pray for myself. I pray for every person in this room. I pray for every person who is hearing the recording. Lord, Ellen White is not some cantankerous lady from Australia blasting Battle Creek, but she's lamenting the loss of the opportunity to finish this world's history. And, Lord, I don't want that to be upon our shoulders either. Father, help us to help you usher the end of this world. Use every male and female in this room with the athletic qualities that we all have, the strategic qualities that we all have, the intel- in- intellects that we have. Lord, use it all and convert it into countercultural Christian agents for heaven's cause. This is our prayer humbly. In Jesus' name, I'll let everyone say, Amen. God bless you guys. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.